This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to episode four of the Cabal cast. There's just two of us tonight. Yep. Wode, our Texas card pirate, is busily preparing for the birth of his son. If any of you caught the episode last week, his wife was about to burst in the background. She's going into labor, so he's taking the night off, so it's just the two of us. But we've got a lot of great stuff for you. Obviously, there was a pro tour. We have a big announcement. Uma, Ultimate Masters, which, you know, I kind of, we touched on a little bit last week. We got the official announcement the day after we recorded. So we're going to cover those two, and that's going to be more than enough for the whole episode. Yeah. Uh, so get us started. I know you took a good look, Rep, at the Pro Tour results and what the deck lists were. So yeah, uh, let's start there. So I broke it down real quick yesterday after they announced uh, the top eight, uh, when I felt better from Saturday. And... There were basically four archetypes in the top eight. A lot of people want to look at it more as three. You have Is It Drake's and uh, Just Guy Control, which are the outliers. And then you have six aggro decks. You have three uh, white red aggro decks, which is primarily white weenie with red in the sideboard. And then you have Boros aggro, which includes red in the main. And there was a lot of overlap between these two decks in the sideboards of the three white weenie decks. We had Experimental Frenzy, Banefire, Tajik, and Aurelia. And then in the Boros aggro decks, we had Aurelia in the main, as well as uh, Heroic Reinforcements in some of the decks, Boros Challengers in others. And in the side, the Aurelia and Experimental Frenzies that we saw out of the Mono White decks. We also saw 16 Takatli Honor Guards in the top eight. And Hooray. That's, yep, that's going to help uh, any white-red deck just blow past Golgari, which is exactly what we expected would happen with that card. Yep. We only had two expansion explosions in the Just Guy Control deck, but that deck also provided us four tef uh, Teferi. So when you look at that deck and you see four Teferi, you've got to think that it's actually more blue-white control splashing red for Clarion and expansion yep. explosion. It also had no Nib-Mizzets. So I think that was Wilson Mock. I remember yes. correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So he definitely played uh, what they what you still want to term just guy control, but it was the blue white version that Todd Anderson had been playing earlier on the week on stream on some of the versus videos. Uh, I don't know if anybody for Channel Fireball put anything up with it, but it's where the deck kind Not of. Not that I know off. of. But yeah. And then the other interesting fact I found during coverage uh, during a Seth Manfield round was that very few people played any kind of graveyard interaction. There was one notable Japanese player, I believe, that had Death Gorge Scav Scavenger in his sideboard. Yeah. So that allowed the Is It Drake's decks to, to just kind of run rampant, went out without meeting a Jess, uh, Vraska's con yeah. content. I, uh, I found it really interesting that Gogari was everywhere. I yeah. mean, the conversion rate was like 60% or something like that. Mm -hmm. And looking at the top eight, and this is, you know, you always hear the Pro Tour is the meta. The GP after that is the solved meta because yeah. the Pro Tour is always hyper aggro. But, you know, looking at the Takatlis and stuff in the sideboard, it seems like this top eight was just geared to beat Golgari. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if 
you know, with Golgari being the boogeyman, I mean, there's still plenty of ways for Golgari list to adapt. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think that by any means this means Golgari is dead. There have been some people saying, oh, well, it's done. Let's all move over. I think that's completely wrong. No, I, I would agree with you. I think Golgari is still a great deck. There were uh, 113 copies on day one, 71 on day two for a 63% conversion rate, which was kind of median across the field yeah. for uh, decks that made it to day two. The best conversion rate was not actually Selesnya tokens, like they mentioned. It was actually Esper Control. Yep. That had a 80% conversion rate of four decks from five. 1% yeah. of the field on day one to 1.2. But that lends a little credence to the fact that you do need this kind of... Not even Black Splash, but if you're not playing something aggressive, you need to have ways to exile Phoenix. You have to have a way to take control of the board with Ritual of Soot. There's no Aether Spouts in this format. We don't have a solid Red Sweeper. We have Clarion, which is... That's a white card yeah. for all intents and purposes. You Basically. Know. And so it creates this interesting format. The one thing that I did like was seeing a lot of Selesnya tokens, and they talked about that as being kind of the foil to some of the decks that were expected in higher numbers. Yeah, like some of the Boros lists, they said it was just better than, which, you know, I I was one of the guys that assumed that deck was dead. There's so many cheap, efficient sweepers mm-hmm. in the format right now that multiple decks can run that I was like, yeah, there's no way. And then to see it put up the numbers it did, I I will admit I was wrong. Yeah. I called that incorrectly. Yeah, I wasn't a firm believer, believer in Slesnia tokens. Uh, I didn't see much of the Immortal Sun pop up from that deck when I did see it on camera. It just went... Yeah really wide and just kind of dealt a lot of chip damage yeah and one of the things that i've been saying about this format playing mono red for the last couple of weeks is that there's a ton of life gain and that's what selesnia tokens has that overlaps with the channel fireball white weenie list they mentioned yeah. that a number of times when they had that deck on stream and it just makes even the Golgari decks have a ton of life gain between Vraska's Contempt and Undergrowth Champion now, and it makes decks that want to try and get under like Mono Red or even a solidly white weenie deck very difficult to play in this format without any kind of Searing Blaze or Searing Blood effect or any way to shut off uh, life gain. So we're definitely looking at a mid-game and late-game kind of format. Yeah, which is interesting to me because I feel like that type of meta you would think would favor Golgari. Yes, because it has such an insane late game that it can do, but with so much Takatli, mm-hmm. I, I guess it just shut it out. Yeah, you know, I, which, you know, it, it's interesting that there was so little graveyard hate besides that Death Gorge because most of those decks obviously thought Takatli was enough. Yeah, they they didn't need graveyard hate. Just bring in the Takatlis and stall them out for however many turns. Build up your board because, frankly, you know, I. I play Golgarian Standard. If the Honor Guard sticks around for two or three turns against some of those lists, yep. you're just done. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I try to always keep my removal up in game two and three, just because I know that card is so high impact against the Golgari lists. Yeah, it's interesting. It's not even like the Golgari deck feels like it's missing cards, like it's short, a grasp of darkness or something like that. It has all these yeah. wonderful tools at its disposal, but it just gets kind of shut out by a two CMC one three. Yeah. I you know, your your most efficient answer, because you lost push, Yeah, uh, is Assassin's Trophy. 
unless you know you go the undergrowth route uh, necrotic wound I think it was. Yes. Yeah. But at that point, you're relying on having three creatures in your graveyard with no ETB effects. So that's that just feels bad Yeah. to me. I didn't see a lot of Assassin's Trophy on camera, speaking of that. And it, I'm uh, sh- surely it's just attributed to a bad draw rate on it. I don't know why you would play yeah. Golgari in this format without somewhere between two and four copies of it, especially when you have to kill Honor Guard in games yeah. two and three. Yeah, I've I'm on two main and a third in the side myself. Uh, it's just too good. Oh, absolutely. So immediately coming out of the pro tour, we knew where we stood financially with a lot of this stuff. We knew uh, Benelish Marshall was going to pick up. We knew that buy list of three dollars now on Card Kingdom. By the way, yeah, uh, we knew that Aurelia was going to pick up. Experimental Frenzy, I think, might be holding. I don't know yeah, it if it's gone up. And um, what is... I can't think of the saga now. Uh, History of New Bananas. Yeah. Oh, History of New, New Banalia, yeah. yeah. That obviously still continued its upward climb to 25 to 30 bucks now. Yeah. So, you know, we had some immediate financial impact. We might have some uh, latent waves with Banefire being in the top eight as well. Uh, there have been there yeah. a few there. Uh, as I mentioned, and Rainbow Lich. Oh yeah, True it's that. in the sideboard. And there were at least four copies of Legion Warboss in the sideboard of one of the Sodley Boros aggro decks, and yeah. I believe that was on camera at least once on day two. It was, yes. So that card finally gets some of its overdue exposure. One of the things that I'm not sure about is the trend rate on Phoenix. So we watched. John Finkel pull out a miracle with Phoenix. I think we watched Yuya do something extremely similar. And the deck just looked incredible all event and then just gets shut out of the top eight. Yeah. And crushed in round one. And with an almost $30 price tag going into the top eight, is this something that we think will hold or do we think it's going to dip as we head into like the holiday lull and then some more modern events coming up in the first quarter of 2019. So I think it's going to hit a lull, not just for the holidays, but because again, it just didn't perform. Yep. Uh, but I think that afterwards, especially once we get into modern season, because, you know, Saffron Olive posted a deck list with it. There's been a couple channel fireballs, like CSI articles yep. about the card and modern. Uh, I think if it starts to do well, not even on like the GP pro tour scene, but literally just on the star city scene. Yeah. You will see enough of an uptick in it that it's going to affect the price. Uh, so I, I personally, I could, I think it is going to go up post holidays. Okay. Uh, might not be the case, but I'm, you know, I, I am confident enough that I would willingly put money on it. Understandable. So. Uh, it's hard for me to gauge Phoenix. We had a, we had a lot of engaging conversation over the weekend about the modern metagame and yeah. the way Dredge kind of shook out week one after set release <laughs> and kind of changing the metagame in such a way that it made people run Graveyard Hate again. So if yeah. people are going back to running Ley Lines in the side, running Rest in Peace in the side, apparently some Dredge lists at Dallas, Caleb Scherer, and uh, the other gentleman that, that's the other half of the Storm Brothers that yeah. played Dredge in Dallas ran Ley Lines in the main because they were so yep. good against a number of decks. 
if that continues and we see the shutout of the graveyard, I don't know how good Phoenix stays. Yeah. I think I, it's obviously I, a good card. It's very powerful. Yeah. I, I think it may end up being one of those cards that you just side out game two. Mm-hmm. But in game one, I feel like the decks that won it, the decks that do well with it, you're so explosive you can pull that out and go into a grindier, you know, just like Storm. You board in pieces of the puzzle game too because it's going to be longer, drawn out, more grindy against your Leyline decks. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, yeah. you know, absolutely right. Dredge thrives when there's no graveyard hate in the meta. Just like Affinity. Yeah. It's easily hated out, but when there's no hate, it's all over the place. Yeah. And I think, for me, if I was the kind of person that played a, a value Phoenix deck, it would probably be something similar to the Grixis list that Ryan Overturf posted a couple of weeks ago. But I would wind up shelving that deck the moment that Graveyard Hate became fairly prevalent and people began bringing in Rest in Peace against me, knowing that that was kind of my shtick. And yeah. then I would dust it off once it got a little lighter. But that's also the way I treat Dredge in Legacy and Reanimator. The moment people kind of forget about it, start to tail off, that's when I'll dust off my LEDs and my Reanimates. Yeah, other than that, it's just not worth it because you're going to one-two drop, probably. You, yeah. you may get you a couple times, but after that, nope, never again. No. Uh, the, the one thing I do like about that deck is that it's pretty much all commons and uncommons outside of that card. Outside yeah. of Phoenix, it's actually a fairly cheap and uh, efficient deck. And if you were just going to kind of throw money at Standard, it might not be a bad place to start. You're going to yeah. wind up probably spouting out maybe 150 for the four Phoenixes, maybe 160 if you get if you have to pay for all the commons and uncommons on the high end. Yeah. I don't think the deck runs a single rare after that. Gotta check. Uh, I don't believe so. Oh, the uh, lands. Oh, yeah, the lands, obviously, but, you know, well, Sulphur Falls is a little bit more, but yeah. Steam Vents is basically, you know, nothing. I mean, it's, according to MTG Goldfish, make of that what you will, 200 bucks. Yeah. Sure. Like, that's easy. Yeah, that's a fairly affordable deck for Standard, and as far as Arena is concerned, if you're just looking at making four, eight, maybe ten rares and, like, 12-ish Mythics, maybe eight... That yeah. should be fairly achievable for anybody. So Yeah. And the, the deck plays itself. I spent a couple hours doing that on Friday night, just goldfishing it against uh, Turbofog, because that's basically what those decks do. Either I yeah. win or I lose. Yeah. And the play patterns can get difficult, but overall, it, it's pretty easy. I yeah, it's a pretty this, quick, quick yeah, run. I can see this staying high in popularity over time as long as the graveyard becomes a viable location to work in standard moving yeah. forward. Agreed. Uh, also coming into this weekend, something we wanted to wait on, because we began seeing the effects of this on Sunday, are the ripples from UMA on Masterpieces and a handful of RPTQ promos, and I believe we have numbers from one judge promo as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the most interesting thing to me about this, and this is, you know, in our first episode we talked about one of the members of our fund basically has a bot that he collects inventory data from mkm uh, obviously those spoilers released everyone thought the market was flooding with all of these promos uh, the most interesting one to me was actually the ancient tomb expo uh, so i don't know if you can put the yeah, chart up there real quick. okay yep. uh, so in 
August, like mid-August, it hit its low and has been on the uptick since. So there was a big spike that we saw right around the time of the UMA announcement when the promos released, and then it actually started ticking down again. So I assumed the market was just going to get flooded with this thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's just been on a gradual uptick and then going to, you know, invocations. Lord of Extinction was spoiled. And it had been pretty consistently low and then did spike. And the thing that we noticed is that on these, not unplayable, but the non-staple cards. Mm -hmm. So your low-end Lord of Extinction type stuff, obviously. Uh, that was where the difference was. You had stuff like, you know, Lord of Extinction through the Breach, which granted it's playable in odd deck. Yep. Uh, had this huge jump. And then you have cards like Ancient Tomb and, for example, the uh, Masterpiece Invention Manable. That has literally had an increase in supply on MKM since March. Yeah. Or, sorry, yeah, no. April. Since mid-April. It's been on the gradual uptick. Yeah. So it, I found that to be fascinating because you assume that something like this happens and all of a sudden supply explodes. But that's literally just been the trend. Yeah, I, did, I thought everything was just going to kind of keep trucking along and we'd see just a, a slow trickle and eventual drop of supply from most of these cards just uh, across the way in regards to uh, inventions, masterpieces, and expeditions. Yeah. I didn't really expect a, a restock over time. Yeah, I because everything I seen myself without actually looking at a bot or anything was oh these numbers are going down we're losing supply yeah they're getting more expensive at boots and all this stuff is happening meanwhile over in europe which granted is where a lot of that stuff arbitrage as well yes um that supply has just been consistently going up which leads me to believe well maybe we could you know there may be an opportunity there eventually like soul ring is what on tcg now three three twenty yeah, so uh, meanwhile, over on MKM, last I checked, it was about 200-ish euros. Yeah, and so then that's an EDH demand kind of thing. And I think, I don't know if we've touched on arbitrage in that kind of magnitude yet, and no. it definitely exists, but this is the kind of arbitrage where you can't just have a P.O. boxer and expect somebody to malice over. Like This is the kind of arbitrage where you're going to have to go there, pick it up yourself, and fly it back. It's going to be the safest route to get this. It's going to be the easiest way to bring this yeah. stuff back. But he should be moving inventory in a large enough fashion. The the one promo that I was pretty sure we would see an immediate rebound on in stock in terms of just like an, an incredible uptick, it's the one I have up now, is the uh, DCI Noble Hierarch. So not the Judge promo, but the RPTQ, I believe. Yeah, the RPTQ. Yeah. yeah, and we see it dip at the end of October, and then on the 10th of November, stock... It doesn't quite well, double, but it's got a, like 1.5 or 1.75 because of this announcement. Yeah. I wanted to try and get Emrakul in here, too, to see if we saw something similar with RPTQ promos in particular, but I, didn't, uh, I wasn't able to get the data in time. I don't think we, we've been collecting it. Uh, I believe we have the... Uh, yeah, we do, actually. Okay. Um, so it's in there. It looks like that's been on an actual gradual downtrend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it hit peak supply at, it looks like September, like the end of September, around 110 units on MKM. 
it's been trending down and saw a very small, like 10% uptick with the announcement. And that was it. Okay. Which to me is really surprising because it's only played in three decks, basically. I sneak and show and it's many iterations. And then you have, you know, one or two modern decks that play it. But other than that, there's not a whole lot. And I was really surprised because I expected a much bigger increase than that. Yeah. And to see that it's been on a gradual downtrend was great. Of the three RPTQ promos I can think of, High Arc, Stoneforge, and Emrakul. I think there's also Lily and Snapcaster mm-hmm. Mage, right? Uh, yeah. Emrakul is the one that I would actually expect to have the most supply because it's played in the smallest number of formats, and it's banned in EDH. Yeah. The the only reason I own one is for a cube because I like that art better. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have cared about it at all. It. So it's kind of surprising to see that it's just on a natural downtick. Yeah. Now, something that uh, we've heard about UMA and it's been tossed around is print to run. Yeah. Yep. So people have been putting out their their pre-orders. Some people are just doing 1, 1x. Some people are doing 2x. The general price is we've been seeing is what, 270? 280? Yeah. The first wave was like 265 that Sports and More did on eBay. Yep. Uh, and then it's been ticking up to around like 280, I think, is what Cool Stuff and Star City have theirs at now. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see the print run because, you know, honestly, there's some cards in there, like the Nobles, for example. I can't imagine there's that many people out there waiting on play sets of noble hierarchs that don't already have it. I would agree with that. Uh, I it, It's hard to believe that a lot of people are going to want a ton of this set at a lot of price, uh, at the high price point. And I've yeah. got up now, actually, the, the Scryfall crunch of the set. The EV? Uh, yeah. Maybe the EV? No, this is just the full number crunch. Okay, yeah. So, so you can just kind of see what's Left. What's been crunched out and what hasn't, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is pretty interesting because you have some, you have like 83 cards in one slot, 586 in another. In another, yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous the opportunities there are for this set. Let's no see. Lindell's Vault. I am so angry. Oh, it's out? Yeah, it's out. The fact that, uh, that you could have Patriarch's bidding between Micaeus the Unhallowed and Reanimate and it's one of the highlighted cards makes me excited. Yeah, definitely. Um, I that's one of those cards that just strictly due to EDH demand is from an old high print run set for the time period. Yep. High print run that was opened into the ground and is randomly twenty five to thirty bucks. I was yep. also real mad that Phyrexian Altar. Don't get me wrong. I like that Mana Vault is a box topper. I really thought Phyrexian Altar had an opportunity there too actually do something yeah Um, it's weird that they hold on to that card for some rainy day that might never come yeah it could have been Uh, uh, what were they a masterpiece yeah the box toppers yeah um it's it's also interesting because i don't know if you've seen any of the discussion out there people have been saying oh this is their test for the reserve list because if people go deep on this oh they'll get rid of the reserve list oh i have not so I didn't understand the logic at all. 
So I messaged the person I always message about reserve list questions because he's discussed it ad nauseum. Mm -hmm. Dan Bach. Yep. And I, it's great. I was able, he was able to change somebody's mind on the internet on one of my statuses. And it was the best thing I've ever seen. That's awesome. But his, his argument was, okay, so hypothetically, let's get rid of the reserve list. Yep. Reserve list doesn't exist. We exist in this position right now. Those same cards have never been printed before. Ever. And that's why they're worth so much money. Mm -hmm. If they printed them now at a $300 a box price point, don't you think they would sell? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Of course they would. Why, why would they not? Oh, yeah. So why would this be a test for the reserve list? Everybody knows that product would sell even if they'd just never been printed. Mm -hmm. So what benefit does this possibly have? So I, again, I would love to see the reserve list gone. They're not getting rid of it. Stop. Give it up. You're not entitled to any of this, so please stop. Yeah. that He actually had, it might, it might have been after that, a nice seven or eight page post about uh, promissory Estefel and what it means to have value tied into trust yeah. in, in a marketplace and what happens to that trust once you... When it's gone. Yeah. Discount the I... lawsuit and the, the sheer millions that Watsi uh, loses and Hasbro loses at that point. Yeah. Your trust and is just, gone. Yeah. And like, I, you know, again, people, people also complain about all these reprints. Oh, yeah. well, now my Tarmogoyfs aren't valuable anymore. Now my Nobles aren't valuable. Engineered Explosives took a massive dive in price mm -hmm. right afterwards. I think that was the one that I saw took the biggest price dip because it's a sideboard card. Yeah. Okay. Printed like one and a half times technically. Basically, yeah. And that's, you know, pe people complain about that. That said, I think Uma's great. I think it's an awesome opportunity. I'm really excited that some of these cards, which honestly needed reprints because their value was artificially high, mm -hmm. like Engineered Explosives, um, Lily, not so much, Snapcaster, eh, not so much, uh, you know, Noble, for example, another one that just shouldn't be 60 to 70 dollars why yeah. i think karn lab is a good target as well he's in one deck that's it the yeah. end yeah cube all-star sure edh all-star sure but he doesn't demand the almost hundred dollar price tag he has from time to time no there's no reason for that and i i think it's great for the game that this happens yeah and it'll be interesting to see because with this being you know hasbro just came out with that announcement that oh we lost money in the third quarter mm-hmm and then this product is released right in the heart of the fourth quarter leading up to the holidays. Mm -hmm. So, of course, this is, you know, jokingly cash grab masters. I mean, that's exactly what it is, do and that's fine. A, do we have a street date? 12-7. Oh, wow. That's all it's yeah. really thought. Okay. Yeah, which, you know, begs the question, how long did they have this planned for? Yeah. That's the yeah, other not, thing somebody mentioned was you can't expect to have have had this stuff printed in two weeks to be a we're sorry for yeah the that disaster. That's, yeah, no, that's that, not what happened. that was there. Yeah, I, and again, maybe they weren't planning on it being a disaster. I assume they weren't, and they were just going to send them out somehow. Yeah. Well, now we have a perfect opportunity. Mea culpa. Here's a free you know five hundred dollar Leo that somebody bought on eBay. Yeah. You're an idiot, by the way. Um, and I I think it's good. 
I think it'll buy them some face with their clientele, which is also a good thing. Yep. But it'll be interesting to see the print run. You know, Sports and More sold 5K boxes, something like that. And you have places that have their pre-orders up. And, you know, I spoke to our Southern rep and he's like, look, we have our allocation, mm -hmm. but we don't have yours. We, we don't know what stores are getting. And that was okay. three days ago. So if stores still didn't have their allocations, you know, last Friday, like what's, it, it'll be interesting to see how the release goes. Yeah. Uh, Did they mention they were going to be vending this at Grand Prix like they were? They will be. And there are two M17 or uh, sorry, UMA Grand Prix as well. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, there's obviously plenty of opportunity for this set to be opened. Yes. Uh, and, you know, like I caution everyone with any set, when it comes out, don't buy into the pre-sale spike. Yeah. Everyone's excited about Leovold being printed again. Everyone's excited about EE. Don't buy it yet. Wait. If it's a card you need, wait until a week or so after release. Mm -hmm. Get it then. Yeah. Because we don't know how much of this is going to make it to the streets. We don't know how much is going to get opened at these GPs, but you have to assume Channel Fireball is obviously going to be stockpiling a bit of this for prize walls. Yes. So, yeah. got to figure that's there. And on the note of Channel Fireball uh, and Grand Prix, we do have an upcoming announcement from Wizards of the Coast who announced an announcement for December 4th, I think it was. Okay. Uh, that says it's regarding competitive magic. I think that's interesting because today, and this will be interesting to see, they announced the change to the Magic Online qualifiers. I did not hear about that. So they... It's effectively an RPTQ system now. Okay. Which, whatever. You've got your challenges that can get you points for the online championship, and you've got your playoffs that can get you points for the championship. And, you know, one cues for the other, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Um, they also have opens. So it's interesting because they're kind of combining the RPTQ system and the open system, PTQ system that they're starting next year. Yeah, I heard, I thought I heard something go by on the Pro Tour that there was an announcement coming up about not the status of Pro Play, but a change to Pro Play. But we're also, as far as I know, still officially waiting for what replaces PT or PPTQs and RPTQs in the physical realm. Yeah, so they they said they're doing opens and invitationals for PTQs, and your opens are you just show up and play. Okay. And your invitationals are effectively your RPTQ, but they're gated by Planeswalker points. Okay. And there's a limited number of seats for those, mm -hmm. but the opens you get multiple invites from. So it's kind of a hybrid of the PTQ system of old yeah. and the PTQ system. Is it still winner takes all? Because I know that was a big problem they wanted to try and solve. So the opens are not winner takes all. They pay out based on the number of attendees. The invitationals also pay out based on the number of attendees, but it's a much more stringent payout. Since it's, okay. you know, you have you've hit your Planeswalker point threshold, you're a more competitive player you can get on there type of deal. Okay. Well, hopefully this brings back the attendance that we used to see at PTQs. The that guy I was playtesting with on Friday had never played at an old-style PTQ, so I just got to 
exactly yeah. reminisce about the days yeah. old where you'd go and spend eight hours scrubbing out and then selling to two or three vendors that were in the room that just doesn't exist anymore. Now you go to a store, there's 30-some players for a PPTQ, and then that's that. It's not a room yeah. full of 60 or 80. Like being up here in Vermont, you would never expect to actually get people that were trying well, to get on the train up here, but we had Melissa Del Toro a bunch. Jackie Lee yeah. came up. Dave Shields came up. We, uh, mm-hmm. Pascal Maynard used to come down. Uh, John Stern would come down. and it, it was a thing. And then when we switched over to the PPTQ system, that just kind of... That mystique just disappeared. Yeah, you didn't have that anymore. No, it was kind of a bummer. But uh, I think that actually covers everything we really yeah. wanted to talk about this week, unless there was something else you wanted to go over. Nope, that pretty much covers it all. Uh, we're on to specs for the week then, yep. so uh, you start first. Sure. So I, I touched on uh, graveyard utility and the ability to meddle with it in standard. And I think we might see Silent Gravestone actually pop up if is it drakes continues to be a thing you need to look at a way to deal with the graveyard that deck has terrible threats aside from the drake for just guy control in yeah. regards to the fact that they are just bad threats no there's one maybe two ways to give the drake haste if you draw both maximize velocities and that's the version you're playing and aside from that you can just deal with them at sorcery speed your leisure the Clarion doesn't get him, Cleansing Nova will. But what takes care of the Drakes, that's the only thing I could find, was Silent Gravestone. It costs four, but by that point in time, either they might have one Drake on the battlefield, and you can just catch the rest, the rest later, or they're still setting up, and I think you're good. Yeah. Uh, it's also interesting, sort of fringe, it, does shut down, or it doesn't shut down Beacon Bolt, since that counts Exile as well. But, Correct. Okay, you get two removal spells, and I blank... Eight of your creatures. Seems fine. Exactly. I think it also shuts down a little bit of Golgari. Is it Fine Broker? Yep. It turns off uh, the Eternal Witness, basically. Mm-hmm. That's seeing play. But also, uh, if they still run Eldest Reborn, turns off Eldest Reborn, it turns off uh, the Memorial yep. Yep. Uh, as well, which we saw on camera at the Pro Tour and how great that was. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, but the, the uh, card's been flat for forever. I'm look, seeing a market average of $0.71. Cents. So yeah. it's going to be around for a, another little while. I don't think it's a bad pickup at this point. No, and especially, you know, we granted Gruul doesn't have a whole lot to do with the graveyard, but we have Orzov coming in an upcoming get, uh, set as well as Simic. Occasionally you can see graveyard abuse there, so there's upside potential. Yeah, I'm... Uh, Basically banking on no um, rest in peace reprint with this yeah with the shot. And honestly, I think that's probably fine to bank on that. I don't know that we'll see it. I don't think it needs to happen. No. You know, I I think they've got utility options there that they prefer for design space. So yeah. I think that's probably pretty solid. Uh, mine is something I've actually been picking up myself passively. Okay. Uh, for quite a while now. Uh, it's a little odd, but hear me out on this. Some specs pay off in the long term. Some specs pay off right away. And some of them just don't ever lose value. Okay. So my pick this week is a little bit higher barrier for entry. Uh, I, You may have seen me selling them on Facebook. That's because I'm trying to trim from 13 down to 10. Actually, of all cards, Time Vault. 
Uh, this this is a card that you know at one point was the power ten. Yep. Uh, right after that power level errata changed, you know, bye bye library. We've got time vault. That's all we need. It's between five to six hundred dollars, and it should be a thousand for LP MP copies. Yep. Uh, there's not a whole lot out there. They're only getting fewer. LP is seven twenty five right now, low on TCG. MP is seven hundred. Okay. And you can get them on Facebook for five to six. And you're uh, looking solely at Unlimited, right? Solely at Unlimited just because the barrier for entry on the others is higher, and okay. a lot of the alpha and beta ones I've seen lately have been shipped to slabs. Okay. So you're not going to get any LPs anymore. You're going to get HP, and that's... For for me, when I'm trying to get a return on it, HP is not where I want to be at all. I'm it just feels me. bad. What about Collector's uh, Edition? So CEIE is interesting. I think it's fine to pick them up. Old School Championship was great this year at Eternal Weekend. It was legal. Mm -hmm. They said it did incredibly well. Props to Nick Koss for allowing that change and the Eternal Council for supporting it as well. I think it's fine. It's cheap. It's not going to go down. I mean, it's effectively a CD in terms of, you know, magic banking. You're going to get your 5 to 10 to 15% a year yield on it, guaranteed. And it's never going to be less than it is now, unless the reserve list breaks. But at that point, we're all out of a job, so yeah, then, that's fine. And the library breaks, and everything is just toast. But, yeah. No, I like that. Uh, I've wondered why Time Vault has been so cheap for so long, when it is basically still a part of every vintage deck. Like the, yeah. It was up. It was four hundred dollars two to three years ago. So this is not a, a high rising card. No. Sees generally yeah. the, the same gains as most dual lands do when they're not spiking, when dual lands are just roping, right? Yeah, they're suddenly getting their 15% yield. Yeah, you'll see 5 to 7% on the lowest, which generally beats the S&P 500, which is... Pretty good. Like, beats the stock market anyway. It is a stock yeah. market in regards to just flat returns. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that's not a bad call as long as you can get in. Yeah, and again, it's it's a high barrier of entry, not for everyone, but I, I think it's, you know, it's a safe place to park your money. You don't buy a tabernacle unless you're avoiding taxes or you need one. Uh, <laughs> time Vault, though, you, you can park your money there safely, and it's fine. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right, well. All right, well, thanks, guys. Appreciate you coming out this week, and hopefully we'll have all three of us back next week. If not, we will both see you. Yep. See you. Yep, have a good one.